you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, It is so good to see you all here. Uh, So good to know we have many of you watching with us online as well. And so if we've not met yet, my name is JP. I would love an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better after our service. Um, And if we have met, welcome back. It's good to see you all here. We are um, as, well, first off, I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but didn't the children's ministry and our tech team and the children, didn't they just do a fantastic job last week for Jingle Bell Beach? Really, really fun. Really great to see the kids uh, leading us in our lesson, in our time to celebrate through song, the Christmas story, and the hope that we have uh, in Jesus, even when things aren't going our way. So it was really, really great. Um, and we're very grateful uh, for, for the team, for the volunteers, um, for everyone who helped make that such an incredible event. Now, what that means is that this is actually our second week of a, th- of a three-week uh, Advent series looking at the three gifts of the wise men. Um, and so we'll be, it's called King. We looked at gold two weeks ago. We'll look at frankincense today. We'll look at myrrh next week. And so uh, before we do, I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to, to dive into what God has for, for us this morning. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that you are here with us. Lord, whether here is in person, whether here is watching online, um, or here maybe listening to the podcast at a later time um, in the week, God, but we thank you that you are present, that you love us, um, that we know um, that you are always with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. Um, God, we thank you for your word, that it is living, that it is active, uh, that when we read the Christmas story, it's not just a good story, it's the greatest story ever told of, of Jesus, you coming down and that you lived a perfect life and you died a horrible death, but you were raised to new life so that we may experience eternal life in you alone. So Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word today, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was uh, when I was in college, uh, my first two years of university, uh, I came here to UC San Diego in La Jolla, and um, I started working at a, a flame boiler restaurant, which was nearby campus. And I had never been before, but I was like, I needed a job, and I was able to to find a job there. And have any of you ever had the flame boiler before? Do you know what this is? It's like teriyaki bowls. Um, so it's white rice. Now they have brown rice because we're all healthier than we were 15 years ago, hopefully. Um, but we have, you know, different rice. You have veggies. You can have uh, chicken or beef. Um, and what Flame Broiler had that, um, well, that was really great that people loved, they call it magic sauce, uh, which, you know, I don't believe in magic, but it was delicious. And it's just like their teriyaki sauce mixed with goodness. I don't know. And it's one of those where, you know, you'd serve people, and then anytime there was a break, my job would be to help fill in these, like, little, like, these little plastic ramekins that people can take with them um, if they wanted extra sauce. And so after working there, you know, you get a free meal, you're filling up these sauces, and all of a sudden, like, I would leave at the end of the day, and I would still smell like magic sauce. Um, and you could, like, you just, you could smell yourself, right? And you're like, but here's, here's how I knew that I liked this restaurant, is that I smelled like it when I left and I still ate it when I came by, right? So I was like, oh, this is still delicious to me. Um, 
And I bring it up because, you know, smell is such a strong, it's, this, it's the sense that is the weakest in the short term and has the longest like memory for us long-term. And here's what I mean by that. If you've walked into a room where there's something really delicious being made and you could walk in and you smell it, you're like, oh my goodness, it smells great in here. JP, you did a great job with that toast. Like you cooked it, you toasted, I'm just kidding. Um, but like it's, you could smell it and you're like, oh, this is really good. But then what happens? Just within a few minutes of you being in there, you don't smell it anymore, right? Like your brain causes you to just kind of not forget it, but it's not, it's not the, 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 the sense that's most important to you in that moment. Whereas, for some of you, if I were to make, maybe not toast, but if we were to make a, a warm apple pie, you would be able to remember, oh, this smells just like how my mom made it. Or for some of us, when we go to Starbucks and we, we smell like the, the peppermint, like, oh, it's Christmas time now because there's peppermint hot chocolate and peppermint mocha. And for the record, you could get those flavors at any time, but it feels better at Christmas in a red cup. But it's just a reminder of we could smell something and it takes us back to a memory, to a moment. And it has this, this, this ability to take us back to something more than any other scent, or any sense, excuse me, uh, any sense can. And Here's why I bring it up, because today we're going to be talking about frankincense. Frankincense, um, as we will learn, is, is uh, part of the incense that was used by the priests early in the tabernacle. And it's something where I imagine that as someone who, you know, worked with magic sauce and teriyaki bowls, and I would go home and I would, you know, throw my clothes in the laundry, and I'm like, oh, I smell like magic sauce. I, I smell like the restaurant I was working. I didn't smell myself when I was there because I was surrounded by it, but then I was just there, and I'm like, oh, I, I smell like it. I imagine that the priests at this time would, would work with the incense, the frankincense specifically, because what it would do is it was part of the various sacrifices that we see in Leviticus. And even more importantly, it was part of the, um, frankincense specifically was part of the incense that was um, lifted up as prayers to God. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to, with this in mind, the smell, the memory of what we need to remember, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a few moments to look back because the frankincense points us to how Jesus is our great high priest. Now, when we think of priests, we have a different vision or a different idea or any clergy than what was going on in the Old Testament. As a, as a pastor, you know, sometimes people who are um, maybe don't attend church often, like, oh, like, what are you, like a priest? And so they, they have a certain thing in mind. And so they have a certain, we have a certain thing that people would wear if you're a priest. Or if you're a pastor, they have a certain thing in mind of what you can do or can't do. But what we do here, being able to present the word of God, be able to um, you know, care for the flock, be able to lead and to teach and to shepherd and to do all these things, it is very different than what Old Testament priests would do. Because Old Testament priests would receive sacrifices and they would kill animals and cover things with blood. I'm very glad I'm a pastor now and not a priest then. I'm a little too squeamish, and God knew that, I think. And so uh, recognizing that we're going to take a look at the importance of frankincense and the importance of the priestly ministry and the importance of Jesus fulfilling that for us today. And so in order to start, we want to remember that frankincense was one of the gifts that we saw from the Magi or for the wise men last week or two weeks ago. 
I do want to reiterate, I alluded to uh, the Bethlehem Star uh, like documentary video um, in that um, service two weeks ago. Um, I've watched it twice all the way through since, and so if you have an opportunity to check it out, I would encourage it. Uh, Bethlehemstar.com would be a great resource for you if you would like. It's an hour and four minutes, but uh, we watched it as a staff together, um, this uh, staff meeting, and, and it was a, it's impactful. I really encourage you to check it out. Um, and so... With that said, we're, we're looking at the gifts the wise men gave, one of them being frankincense. And let's look here. I'm going to look at Exodus 30, starting in verse 34, to point us to the importance of frankincense specifically in the priestly ministry. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum resin, anika, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Now I'm going to unpack a little bit about the location, what that means, and how that is reflected in, in Christ's love for us. But what I want to prioritize here is just recognizing that frankincense, even as it was listing the different ingredients, frankincense was kind of set apart. That pure frankincense was something that was so important that it was used specifically in the incense that would go up into the most holy place. Now, as I mentioned, frankincense points to Jesus as our great high priest. So what was it that a priest would do in the Old Testament? What are three different roles that a priest would do? Or three, um, yeah, three roles that a priest would have in the Old Testament. The first one, which we're going to unpack, is that a priest would help with mediation. A priest would help when there was mediation, when someone is far from one another and they need to be brought together. Uh, one of the roles as a pastor that I've had is when I have conversations with family members or married couples who are going through a difficult time and, and they'll come into my office and they'll share one frustration or another. And I remember part of my job, like I love those meetings, um, which may mean I may get a lot more of them because like, oh great, we can do these more, which I would love to sit down and come alongside you all. But it's this idea of when there's someone's here in conflict and then there's someone here, one of the things we are all called to do is to be peacemakers, right? Not peacekeepers, you just say everybody be okay with one another, but to come into the middle of a circumstance, in the middle of a conflict, and figure out how can we make peace where there currently is none. The one that specifically stands out to me wasn't even a marital counseling situation, but it was when there was a high school student when Steph and I were doing high school ministry years ago, and the high school student and her mom both came into my office, and they were really upset about various different things, and it was one of those where I just, I was like, okay, what I want to do is I want to hear from the student, can you share what you're, you know, what you're feeling, and then Mom, I want you, ju just don't, don't give any commentary, but just repeat back what you are hearing the student, your daughter saying. So the daughter shares some things, and, and then the mom right away says, you know, what I hear her saying is this, this, but what you don't understand is this, this, that, 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 and the other. And then I'm like, okay, hold on. Like, you know, you want to honor and respect mom in front of teenager, but I'm like, well, let's just hear what she's saying so that she can know you understand what's going on. So we try it again. She does it, and then mom, I said, mom, can you express how you're feeling? And, we do the, and I say, you know, daughter, don't say anything. Just all I want you to do, don't give commentary. Just repeat what you hear her saying. And it was through this process, and again, it took a little while for all of us, and it was, it was stretching and difficult, but 
we got to the point of just them being able to just at least understand where they were coming from. And then that was able to help bridge a gap, bridge this gap between the two of them relationally. Does that mean that their relationship was perfect forever? No, no like it wasn't, it's not a magical moment, but it was something where God was working in that time to say that there was mediation. Someone needed to come in and there were on either side of a conflict and just to say, let's bring you together. Now, God in us, because of our sin, God is all holy. And we as sinful people, we have all fallen short. There's a gap between us. And in the Old Testament, what God instituted was the building of the tabernacle. And we have a map here, not a map, excuse me, an illustration here to give a rough idea of what it was like. That you see on the outside, there were fences that were seven feet tall. There was only one gate through which to enter, which... Sounds very similar when Jesus says, I am the gate. There's only one you could come to the Father is through me. Even in the Old Testament, there was only one way to approach God. There's only one way to establish that. And once you walk into the gate, you'll see a courtyard all around. Then you see the bronze altar, the brazen altar, which is where sacrifices were made. Animal sacrifices for sin offerings and things like that. Then you would go and see a little bit further, there's the laver, which is the bowl that you would wash your hands with and that the priests would wash their hands when they would enter in. Inside that tent, you'll see if you walked into the first part, it was a tent that was divided into two different sections. The first section was called the holy place, and that one had the um, table of showbread, which was a bread that would always be before the Father, symbolizing fellowship, eating a meal together, fellowship with God. There was also a, light, a golden lamp stand, which was the only illuminating part of the tabernacle in that section. And then you would walk to the back of the holy place, and then there would be a curtain that was about five to seven inches thick that was blocking off the holy place from the most holy place, or in some translations we hear it as the holy of holies. And right in front of the Holy of Holies was the golden altar of incense. And we're going to unpack a little bit more about that in a moment. But I wanted to give you this picture to help us to, to recognize that there was no way for someone who was far from God to get into a right relation with God without going through these specific roles. And the priest had to be the ones, the priests had to be the ones who received the offering who lifted the offering up on behalf of the people. And that because of that, then the people would leave and they would be able to be made right with God through a sin offering or a guilt offering or a burnt offering. And, and there are Leviticus 1 through 5 goes through five of the major offerings. We'll, we'll likely touch on them a little bit next week, so don't, don't worry about it. There's not a quiz. But recognizing that from the beginning, the priests were the ones that mediated between a holy God and a sinful people. There was no way to get to a holy God except through the sacrifices that the priests would receive. Here's the problem that came with that, and here's the problem that maybe comes with, with us and our understanding of clergy now, is that it's very easy with that understanding to then feel like, well then, there's only a few holy people that can have access to God, and the rest of us or have to stay at arm's length, or he doesn't want relationship with us. And the truth is, is that that may have been true, but as we'll see throughout our time together this morning, that Jesus broke down that barrier, and that he's allowed us to come into right relationship with God the Father, not because we've earned it, and not because we can do anything to ever earn it, 
but because the only one who could rightfully give us that right relationship with God was born in a manger, lived a perfect life, entered into being fully human while still being fully God, and made a way where there was no way, a peacemaker at his core, to say there was no way between the two, let us come together and reason together. So the first thing that a priest would do is help to mediate between holy God, sinful people, sinful people bring their sacrifices, the offering is made in the brazen altar outside of the courtyard, and the people would just walk in through the one gate, offer up their sacrifices, and they would leave, but the priests were the one that helped them to know they were made right with God. And I think what happens is that people think, Many of you may think, or people that we know think that, oh, only pastors or only church staff members or only missionaries or only people who are like professional Christians can have a, a close relationship with God. And friends, one of the beautiful stories of Christmas is to say that that division does not exist. That we are fellow sojourners on the same journey together. And I have the honor to be called into this role, but it doesn't make me better than any of you. What it means is that God has called all of us into a deeper relationship with him. So that access to God is fully available to all of you, which we'll touch on in a few more minutes. First role that we talk about that Old Testament priests would do is mediation. The second role was intercession, which is a fancy way of saying, you know, interceding on someone's behalf to, to advocate for someone, specifically to pray for someone um, and to be able to do that. So as I mentioned, if you can rem remember where we were inside the tabernacle, we're in the holy place. We have a table of showbread, golden lampstand. We just passed the labor, the washing bowl. We just passed the, um, the offering, uh, the altar out front. And then as I mentioned, there's a gold altar of incense that was right before the veil. There's a picture of the altar of incense here. It was one, uh, one cubit wide, one cubit around, and then it was taller. It had poles that you could carry. It was made of gold, and there were horns on the side of it. Um, and the idea behind this was that from that Exodus 30 passage we read earlier, that the frankincense would always be mixed with the incense, would always be at the front of the altar, or on the altar in front of the veil. This is where that frankincense would go. The frankincense would be mixed as part of the incense that would be burned. And as Exodus 30 tells us in another section, the high priest would come in and he would light the incense at morning and at night. And in doing so, what would happen is that the prayers, the intercession, he would pray for the people. And just as the smoke that was burning from the incense would come up, you guys burned incense, you know how the smoke rises, right? So as that rises over, there is that veil that was separating the holy place and the most holy place, but there is a gap. And so the smoke would rise up and it would then be able to enter into the most holy place, the holy of holies, where the ark of the covenant, the, the mercy seat, the place where, uh, where God was called, said to reside was right in the most holy place. So people were not able to access it, but for the high priest, but for once a year. But the idea of intercession, the idea was saying that the, the priest would come in and he would pray for the people. He would light the incense and his prayers would be able to reach the holiest place of God. Even though he couldn't access it, lest he die, the prayers were able to be able to enter in. So people would go to the priests 
And they would present offerings. They would present things. They would ask for intercession. The priest would fulfill that prayer. Knowing that the incense, the frankincense, would be part of that that goes into the holy place where God could hear the prayers. In fact, we see this in Revelation as well, where it talks about how the prayers of the saints are like incense that are rising up to the throne room of heaven. This imagery is still being used and was used when John wrote Revelation. First thing we saw was the idea of mediation, helping to be a peacemaker, bridging the gap. Second thing we see the Old Testament priests would do, intercession. And that's something, friends, that we do for one another. You don't have to be a priest to pray for one another. You don't have to be a professional Christian to be able to lift up one another. In fact, I, I, one of the things I love is in our announcement videos when it talks about write down your prayer request on a prayer card so that people on our team can be praying for your needs. It is an honor to be able to pray and to intercede on the behalf of those within our church. So please do not hesitate to reach out. We have a team of dozens of people who love to pray for you. You are, this is not a slogan that we just say for the fun of it. You are prayed for. You are cared for. And you are loved. And part of that is we get to come alongside and to lift you up in prayer. The third thing, though, the third one that the role of the priest would do is to provide access to God. Now, the access was different, and we're going to unpack that in a moment, because the only way that the, uh, someone in the Old Testament would be able to come into being in the presence of God in the most holy place was the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And in that moment, it was he had to make sacrifices for himself because he is sinful. Then he enters into the most holy place, and he brings the sacrifice for himself and the people, and he puts um, the blood of the animals that were sacrificed onto the Ark of the Covenant, which is where... Um, again, where it says that God resided. And he was only able to go in once a year and only the high priest. So, yes, it provided access, but it's not the kind of access that we now have the ability to have. But let me share a brief story about um, what's fun when you have access to something you normally wouldn't. So in 2018, um, I had the opportunity to go... Um, to the Bay Area. So I'm from the Bay Area originally, if you haven't heard that. Uh, I love following sports. Um, I love thinking I could play sports, and I love failing at sports. So it's all, you know, all three. No, um, I was able to go and see a 49ers game on a Thursday night, and then I was able to go see a Golden State Warriors game on a Friday night. So this is a picture of me out front of Oracle uh, Arena. This is the last year they were playing in this arena. It was the last year that, if you know basketball, this is the last year that Kevin Durant was on the team. So I was like, if I could go to a, a, any Warriors game, I want to go this year to a home game to experience that. Now, at my church, my previous church, um, I had a friend who was in the men's ministry and, and we served together. And he had mentioned kind of offhand, or he had mentioned before, that his son is on the staff for the Warriors, like working on, on their team there. Not the actual basketball team, but like in their um, relations team and stuff. And so when we showed up, I, I just mentioned, I was like, hey, I'm going to be at this game in November against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, is there any way, like, is there just any way your son would be able to, to um, help us in? And so it's one of those where most people will be able to have this experience where they're out front. But I knew a guy. And because I knew a guy, I was able to get one of these. Uh, a pass that was, it was a pre-shoot pre around. So it's the pre-game. 
and you got to sit and watch the teams uh, do their shoot around. So just to give you an idea of how close we were to the court, let's go to the next photo. Me and my friend Tim are in the front row. Again, only pregame. We didn't get to see the game from there, but pregame we got to be there. Um, the next one's a slightly embarrassing picture of my face, but it's worth it. So go to the next one. This is me being excited because over, if you, you can't see, but right where I'm pointing is Steph Curry, who's one of my favorite players. Um, and one of the, within the next week or so, will likely break the all-time three-point um, shots made um, in all of the history of the NBA. Um, there's a picture of him, like, he was across the other side, so go to the next picture. Um, he's across the other side, but I'm like, he's, he's right there. One of the things you forget, um, if you follow basketball, you see Steph Curry, and he's like, he looks really short, like, compared to everybody. But he's like 6'3", so it's like, you know, he's way taller than I'll ever dream of being. But he's still, like, one of the shortest ones on this, this staff. Like, oh, wow, everyone's really big. Now, before we go to the next version, don't go yet. Um, we're sitting in the front row, and they have security guys, you know, just kind of walking around saying hi. And this guy walks by, and he, um, we look, and he's wearing something. We're like, is that one of the rings that is like, is that a championship ring? Because the Warriors had just won the championship. And he said, yeah. He said, the Warriors, they, they buy one. They buy one of these rings for everyone on their staff. And so my friend, who's bolder than I am, is like, can we hold it? And the guy's like, sure. So we go to the next picture. This is me holding uh, the championship ring. Um, and then let's go to the next one as well. Because it's, it's me holding it. It's like the side. So this is not... It says Curry on the side. It's not his ring, but it's a, it's a real ring. And what's funny is we're sitting there, we're holding the ring, and the guy's like, he gets a call on the radio. He's like, I got to go. Don't move. I'm like, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to take your ring. And so we sat there. We got to look at it. We got to put it on. We got to, um, got to wear it. Guy comes back, and we give it back to him. And, you know, once the game, once the shoot-around stopped, it was like, hey, it was nice to have you here, but, you know, go to your seats in the nosebleed, like, gladly. Like, this was amazing experience. And it all happened, not because I earned it. I didn't pay to go. I didn't have to do anything. It's because I knew a guy. I knew a guy who was able to let me in and have access to something I never would have had experience or access to otherwise. Friends, if I can encourage you with anything this morning, is the fact that because Jesus came from heaven to earth, starting in a manger, but growing up, living a perfect life, every time there was a temptation to sin, he didn't. He never fell short of God's glory. That he died the death that you and I would deserve for our sin. That all of us deserve, because all of us fall short. None of us reach his glory. And recognizing that because of that, we can now have access and relationship to God the Father. We don't have to wait for a bronze altar and a water bowl and then going into the holy place with the showbread and the lampstand and the altar of incense and then the veil and then the holy of holies. There's not all of this separating us anymore. The Old Testament priests, they gave them the closest access anyone could have to God by being the one high priest one day a year to go in and to offer the sacrifice. But all the other days of the year, they were separated and they did not have that access to God. Not in the way that it was designed to be. If we remember back in the beginning, the story of the gospel is that God loves us. And in the beginning, God walked amongst Adam and Eve just as much as you and I would walk by one another now. And we had this complete access and intimacy and closeness to him, relationship with him. But God loves us, and the step two is that we blew it. 
We blew it. We've fallen short. We've sinned. We chose someone and something else other than God to be our God. And then we fall short. And then Jesus paid for it by going on the cross, and we must receive that as the fourth step. We must receive eternal life. So, Okay, we've taken some time, you know, several minutes here to look at the Old Testament priests, how they provided mediation, intercession, and access to God. Now we're going to close with the final few moments we have together, looking at how Jesus fulfills each and every one of these things as our great high priest. That the gift that the wise men brought of frankincense points to him as our high priest who fulfills these same three functions. And he doesn't have to do it just once, or he doesn't have to do it every year. He did it once to, for all years. First one that he fulfills is the role of priest is that he fulfills the role of mediation. We see this here in Hebrews 9 verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. That he is the mediator. He's the one that sees, yes, there is a holy God and there are sinful people. And before a priest would have to come in and the people would bring their offering to the priest and the priest would lift it up to God and then the person would leave. But the closest the relationship was from a sinful person to a holy God was through a priest. And yet Jesus comes to be able to be the mediator, to recognize, yes, there's conflict. We are still in conflict with God if we are far from him. We are still in conflict with God if we've not trusted in Jesus as Lord and received that gift of eternal life because we are still far from him because of our sin and recognizing that Jesus Christ is the mediator. He's the one who's a peacemaker. He's the one that for all who are called will receive the promise of eternal, eternal inheritance in him alone because he died as a ransom for us. That Jesus fulfills the role of the priest as a mediator. The next one we see is the intercession. He intercedes for us on our behalf. Looking at Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 23, it says this. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. In other words, because there'd be priests who would fulfill the same function of a priest, but they would die, a new priest would have to come in and fill that spot. Verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That when God looks at our sins, if we have a right relationship with Jesus, we know that our sins would be like a, if they were written out, they'd be like an Old Testament scroll that would like flow all the way through the room because of all the things we do wrong. But if we've trusted in Jesus, we surrender our lives to him, we confess that he is Lord and believe in our hearts that we are saved, then it's a blank slate. Our sins are washed away. The crimson has been washed as white as snow. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. It's not even that there's those sins that just get crossed out. It's that we get wiped clean. It's not that, that we're the old selves, we are new creations. 
And he intercedes on our behalf because only he is the one that can bridge that gap. Only he is the one who can make that, or make that peace. And only he is the one who can intercede for us as a priest forever and always to lift up prayers for us. And the Holy Spirit comes and he prays for us as well. And then lastly, access. He fulfills the role of providing access. That we see here, I mentioned earlier that there's a golden altar of incense, that there's the, the veil that was five to seven inches thick, and then there would be the most holy place, the holy of holies, where God dwelled. And many of us are familiar with the fact that when Jesus was on the cross, and in Matthew 27, it records that when he died, something incredible happened. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain or the veil of the temple was torn in two, top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and the tombs broke open. This is not, you know, this is five to seven inches thick of curtain that was separating the holy place from the most holy place from where the priest could access once a year. Jesus did on this one special day, this Good Friday that was not good for him, but it was great for us. He came in and on his death or at his death, the, that which divided God from his people was torn asunder. We now have access to have a right relationship with God the Father. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of a specific sacrifice we presented. Not because we knew a guy from a priest before, but because we know the guy who allows us to have that access. So, friends, Hebrews puts it this way. Because imagine this. God could have sent Jesus down in any way, right? He could have come down upon clouds as fully you know, in his full Shekinah glory, the transfigured Christ, the one who comes in radiating the glory of God and just says, follow me. And we'd all be like afraid and oh, some of us would, some of us wouldn't. What's one of the reasons why he came as a baby? Because they're cute, right? No, that's, I mean, sure. No, the, one of the reasons he came is because like the wise men, if there's a huge Shekinah glory, Jesus floating down or ascending, descending down from heaven, it would be very much like the people in Exodus chapter 19 that when Mount Sinai was shaking, they were so afraid to approach the mountain. They said, Moses, you go up and do it. In the same way that the priest, they would say, priest, you're the one that has to make access. And this, the fear was creating, or excuse me, his holiness was creating so much fear that the people were like, we can't do it, someone else do it. But Jesus coming as a baby means we ought not fear. Jesus coming as a baby is unassuming and beautiful. It's powerful, and yet he's in a manger that no one knows about, no one sees. There's no fanfare from the world, and yet the heavens are singing praises and saying, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. So, Here's what Hebrews talks about for us. How is it that Jesus gives us access? Therefore, since we have a great high priest, not a normal high priest that only comes in once a day, once a year, or excuse me, once a year to be able to provide the sacrifice for the people, 
We have a great high priest, one who only had to do it one time because as a priest, he was so perfect. And then he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with fear and trembling, with, with being so scared of his holiness that we can't get close to him, with confidence in our own ability. No, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know if in the Old Testament the, the, the people's understanding of the throne of God would be a throne of grace. But because Jesus gives us access, because now the, the veil, the curtain has been torn in two from top to bottom as if God is just cutting right through it and breaking it apart and saying, you can approach me now with confidence, not in who you are and what you've done and your deeds, but in who Jesus is and what he's done and in his deeds. That now there's nothing separating us from a right relationship with God. You don't have to come to me in order to confess something. You could go straight to God the Father. Now, we can still confess our sins to one another, but you don't only get access through a priest or a pastor like me. You can, you can confess. You can ask God directly. And as 1 John 1, 9 says, that if we confess our sins, God is righteous and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we can approach God now with confidence, knowing that he's been, Jesus has been tempted, didn't sin knowing that he can sympathize with our, our pains, with our hungers, our thirsts, our desires, our difficulties. He knows what it's like. And he withstood that for all of us so he could come in, separate that which was separating us, and so that we would be able to know that through the frankincense reminder that he's our high priest who provides mediation, intercession, and access that when we are going through difficult times and we need help, we don't say that we have it all together. What we say is, I know a guy. And through Jesus, we can have a right relationship with him. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you, Lord, for God, for your love for us. Jesus, I thank you that you are our great high priest. I thank you that you allow us to have um, that you mediate between us and God because we know we cannot approach him on our own because of our sinfulness and his holiness. We thank you that you bridge that gap. God, we thank you, Jesus, we thank you that you intercede for us, that you are on our behalf. And Jesus, we thank you that you allowed your death, your life, death, and resurrection allows us access to a right relationship with God the Father whom we can approach with confidence to receive grace and mercy. But that path has only been laid out because you, Jesus, came here as a baby, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, and was raised to new life. 
God, I pray right now that um, wherever we are in a relationship with you, Lord, whether we follow you, whether we don't, whether we're curious, whether we're not, whether we're just showing up because it's Christmas time and you're supposed to go to church, or whether we are thirsting and aching for a closer relationship with you, may you meet all of us here today. That there is not one person who is hearing my voice that um, every single one of us are loved by you. Jesus, you died for every single one of us, and Holy Spirit, you want to draw each and every one of us closer to you today. So Jesus, thank you for being our priests. And may we rejoice in the fact that because of what you did, and when we trust in you, we can say, we know the right guy. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.